Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in again to Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition. I'm Bruce Collins, your host. Today I'm joined by Margot Long, Deputy Head of Academics at St. John's Preparatory School in South Africa. She will be my co-host for this episode and together we'll explore the pedagogy of choice and hear from IBSC educators in Australia, the United States and South Africa. They'll share about the impact of giving boys agency in their learning. Our guests today were all participants in the most recent IBSC Action Research cohort, and their findings will, I believe, encourage educators of boys everywhere to think about their practice. Before we dive into that conversation, however, I'm joined again by IBSC's Chief Operating Officer and my colleague, Amy Ahart, for the IBSC Newsreel. Amy, thank you for joining me again for the IBSC Newsreel. We have some superb online classes starting soon, on October 12th, in fact. Alongside our Teachers New to Boys Schools class, we have two new classes launching, don't we? Yes, we do. Thank you, Bruce, and hello, everybody. Our first new offering starting October 12th is the Tech Solution. With the growing use of technology, particularly with many schools using online tools for teaching and learning, it's becoming increasingly important to understand the impact of technology on boys. The world has changed and a key skill for our students' health, happiness, and success is knowing how to use the power of technology in service of their goals rather than becoming servants to technology. We hope you'll find fellow boys educators in this global online class led by award-winning Harvard-trained psychiatrist and number one best-selling author Shimmy Kang for a fascinating journey through the tech habits children need to achieve their full potential. The second new online professional development opportunity we are offering is a class called Boys and Belonging, drawing from the insights of global experts, teachers, and leaders in boys' schools around the world. We aim to facilitate thinking about what it means to foster school environments where every boy feels like he belongs. We hope to see you in one of these great offerings. Thank you, Amy. I am so excited about both of these new classes, and I know that you are too. And I know that both of us would urge all in the coalition to visit the online learning page on our website to get more information and to sign up for these classes. But now, to the interview. Very excited about having a guest host on this episode today, which is something new for exploring uh, boys' education. Uh, my good friend Margot Long is joining me as guest host. For the past 14 years, Margot has worked as Deputy Head of Academics and Staff Learning at St. John's Preparatory School in South Africa. Most exciting, however, is that Margot was recently awarded the Hawley Jarvis Award by IBSC, which is an award that is given to an employee of an IBSC member school who has faithfully offered transformational service to IBSC for a period of at least two years. Margot has done that for a lot more than two years, and not only has that uh, service been transformational to IBSC, but also in her own school. Um, for those of you who don't know Margot, and I'm sure many of you do, she was an action research team advisor for the IBSC for many, many years, and has been the program coordinator of that program for the last number of years too, and has recently handed over the reins to her friend, Laura Sabo. Um, but that Holy Jarvis Award, Margot, is well-deserved, and um, we're all very proud of you, and it's great to have you on as a guest host, so welcome, Margot. Thank you, Bruce. 
Let's uh, kick off, Margot, by talking a little bit about this uh, IBSC action research topic, boy, voice, and choice. And we're going to be digging into the pedagogy of agency and of giving boys um, choice and, and a voice in their learning. Um, but I thought it would be good to start with you just giving us some background into why the topic of agency was chosen for this round and, and, and what's important about giving boys a voice in their learning. Yes, Bruce, it's always challenging um, to find the new topic for the Action Research Programme each year because the topic needs global relevance and it needs to have um, lasting value rather than just being a flash-in-the-pan interest which passes. In several previous cycles, we've looked at different 21st century skills like collaboration um, and also creativity through digital technologies. But for this round, agency seemed to grow into the perfect topic, given the global focus on the need for meaningful learning through, for example, inquiry or project-based learning and STEAM programs and so on. It's also an ideal topic in terms of adapting teaching and learning in next-generation learning spaces and, and the more flexible classrooms that we're seeing today. So we defined agency as the capacity to take purposeful initiative. It's the opposite of helplessness. When boys develop a sense of agency, they're empowered to take control of their own learning and their lives, and they understand that they have the potential to bring about a result. So this is encouraged in schools where students have the freedom to develop their own voices, make choices, collaborate, innovate, problem solve, and ask their own questions. So it was, there was just so much rich potential in the topic um, that we, we decided that this was the way to go this year. I mean, it's very exciting. And just from your brief introduction, I'm, I'm eager to, to get into the meat of it. But truth is, we have three other guests with us today. And I know that you know them probably better than I do. And so why don't you go ahead and take the reins and introduce our global colleagues to the listeners? I'm so excited to introduce these three exceptionally talented researchers today, Bruce. Joining us, we have Katie Mello from South Africa, and she's the winner of this year's most prestigious Action Research Award for her research into developing self-efficacy in grade eight boys through a project-based learning program. Then we have Luke Rawl from Australia, who researched using a peer tutoring program to develop self-efficacy in year 11 boys in the skill historical source analysis. And then welcome to Steve Crowick from the US, who worked with grade seven boys to research how a student-centered task facilitated positive relationship building and how their developing sense of collective agency promoted a sense of belonging within the group. Both Luke and Steve's reports were selected for the top 10 in this year's cycle, together obviously with Katie, who won the award. Katie, Luke and Steve, congratulations on your superb projects. And thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. I'm going to ask you each to introduce yourselves briefly to our listeners. We'll start with Katie. Hi, Margot. Um, I work at St. Stidian's Boys College in Johannesburg, South Africa. My main role at the school is that I'm a mathematic, mathematics teacher there, but I'm also the head of our Activate program, which is our grade eight project-based learning program. My action research fell under this part of my role at St. Stidian's. Hi, Margot. I'm Luke Rawl from Queensland, Australia. I'm at Toowoomba Grammar School as the Head of Teaching and Learning. I'm also a history teacher at the school and active in the co-curricular program, particularly in rugby. Hi, Margot, and thank you, Bruce, for having us. 
my name is Stephen Krawick, and I teach at the Allen Stevenson School in New York City. Uh, I'm a Spanish teacher for grades one, four, six, seven, and eight, and I also run a grade seven advisory, although I know in other countries it's called a pastoral care group. It's great to have you all on the show today, and uh, welcome from my side too, and really excited for you to be sharing your wisdom and insights. Um, I also want to highlight today that our conversation is going to focus on the practical takeaways from your research, but that your full research reports, along with other 2019-2020 reports, are available in the IBSC Member Center for IBSC members to download and read. Margot, just briefly, before we head into to the pedagogy of boy voice and choice, I'd, I'd love you to tell the listeners what it's like to be part of the IBSC Action Research Program. Bruce, being part of this program is like having a professional sea change. And I think it was Dial Acock who coined that phrase. Um, it takes researchers on a wonderful journey, both literally, because they go to two global conferences for training and then to present their research, but also professionally in terms of their own research into a new and exciting topic. Getting to know like-minded educators around the world is a tremendously powerful experience, and many of our participants have cited it as the most rewarding professional learning curve of their lives. Look, I certainly echo those sentiments as well. I found it an amazing experience, both personally and professionally. Um, Primarily, I think it's really enhanced my own pedagogy, helping me to be far more self-reflective in my day-to-day teaching practice. Um, As a result, in trying to evaluate the impact that my own teaching is having on my students' learning, I find myself now constantly looking towards the boys' voices and opinions to help guide that process and inform my own self-reflection. I've loved reading your reports, Steve, Katie and Luke. Um, In your experience of this research, why is it so important to give boys a voice and a choice? Um, A big part of my feeling about the importance of giving voice and choice to students is rooted in how the role of the teacher has changed over time. Uh, Teachers used to be responsible for disseminating information that students didn't previously have access to, an approach that a lot of people have referred to as the sage on stage approach. But over time, information has become readily available because of the advent of different technological resources. So the purpose of education and the purpose of the teacher has changed really dramatically. And we live in a world that looks towards people who can think outside of the box, like you were saying earlier, Margot, and who can innovate and examine the problems in our world in a critical way. And to add value and to navigate tensions and dilemmas and to mobilize the different resources that they have access to. So if we want to empower our students to be the change makers and the trailblazers of their generation, we need to start at the foundation, which is developing voice and choice, because it really engenders all of those other creative processes that are the driving forces behind change. I found that giving boys voice and choice really allowed them to engage with topics that they are interested in, which definitely impacted their intrinsic motivation to learn. Also, from my project specifically, um, the boys made teaching videos where they taught their self-selected new skill to others. And this experience of teaching something that they had independently learned really heightened their sense of accomplishment, which also deepened their understanding at the same time. 
So the boys said something along the lines of having voice and choice helps you understand your skill better. And it also allows you to understand or realize how much you actually know. And as a final point from my project specifically, I found that utilizing voice and choice really can help develop boys' self-efficacy. Look, I completely agree with both Steve and Katie around the idea of uh, engagement and motivation. I've found that providing boys with options and particularly providing them with a voice um, surrounding their own learning and the direction of that learning really, really inspired them to be more engaged in, in the classroom day to day. I think also that that voice of the boys just was that um, provided that instant feedback for me to be able to constantly understand where they're at without having to go through a, a summative assessment or an exam or, or something like that. And being able to constantly listen to where they're at and what they need um, really provided the foundations for me to, to reshape my own teaching. You know, it was really interesting for me to read about your research, Katie, um, and the process of students creating those teaching videos, because when I was in high school and I was forced in a math class, uh, which was my favorite subject, I or my it became my favorite subject, but it started as my least favorite subject. But when I was actually forced to teach other kids how to do math, that was the first experience that helped me realize that I wanted to become a teacher in the long run. And I, I used to promise myself that I would never become a teacher because I hated getting up early in the morning. And I told myself I would never move to New York City because it was too crazy. And all these years later, here I am teaching in New York City. But it was that first experience in a math class of teaching other kids that actually opened my eyes to how transformative the, the process of teaching and, and the experience of being a teacher could be. You know, Steve, I, I, I love your reflection there. And, and I think if, if any of our boys can have the intentional experience that, that you had so many years back, and that shapes their idea of who they are and, and empowers them to become who they're meant to be, that's, that's such an exciting thing. And I think the action research process gives teachers the opportunity to be more intentional about uh, their practice. Definitely. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to shift gear into some of the nitty gritty of your projects um, and really learn from you because I think Steve, Luke, and and Katie, you're our experts here today. You've done a deep dive into into this pedagogy, um, and I'd like to start with Katie because as I read your report, Katie, uh, I see that your findings highlight the Im impact of self determination in learning on the self efficacy of boys. Well. My project investigated how a self-determined project-based learning program can develop self-efficacy in grade eight boys, which is their belief in being able to influence their lives toward a desired outcome. The boys each worked on, it, on teaching themselves a self-selected new school, skill sorry, using only online resources. They first had to document their learning process and show mastery of their skill, then create a YouTube-style tutorial to teach their skill, then introduce a peer to their skill in person. And finally, they participated in an exhibition event where they engaged with grade sevens from our boys' preparatory. Throughout, they determined their learning resources and also how they spent the majority of their lesson time. So I've really tried to give the boys a lot of opportunities for self-determination. And I saw that in my case, it had the following effects. The boys loved being able to choose their own skill. 
having so much choice really added to their feelings of mastery as they really created it independently. I had very little to do with their mastery. It was all them. It increased their motivation. And all in all, undertaking this type of project really increased their self-efficacy levels and they generally felt more confident to be able to independently learn in the future. So in my discussions with boys, they said quotes along the lines of, having done a project like this makes you feel that self-learning can be done and they now know that they can do it. And one that I really liked was that a boy said, I feel like I learned is actually it doesn't take too long to learn a new skill. When I started, I thought this is going to take weeks. I'm going to have to practice for hours at a time. But I realized that if you actually just put your mind to it and work smartly, not really quite hard, then you can actually achieve it quite easily. Luke, your findings about boys' sense of agency and self-regulation were similarly insightful, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've for years wrestled with the with finding effective ways to empower boys to better self-regulate their own learning. Um, and the opportunity really came about. We we had a new examination style coming into our subject for modern history in the senior year levels. And I needed, um, I needed to prepare the boys for what was going to be a lot more flexible questioning for that examination. So I came up with the concept of peer tutoring, having my year 11 students work with year eight students and trying to teach them the skills of historical source analysis. So I transposed their traditional role from the, from the somewhat passive role of a student to the, the active role of a teacher. And what that did was provide them with, with a real safe environment for mastery experiences where they could actually self-regulate their self-regulate where they were at with each of the skills and actually then target their independent study moving forward. And the reflections from the boys, from the surveys and from the interviews and the, the video journals were really insightful that they they were beginning to realise really, really critical, critically um, where they're at and what they needed to improve and and the most enlightening thing was why, why what, what made them feel that way or think that way. Um, so what I found is that those experiences actually really empowered the boys and made, made, them, made them target those skills and improve as learners. And as a result, um, I measured, just like Katie, their self-efficacy in those skills, and I found a significant improvement. That's amazing. Um... Steve, you had similar results. Um, your boys developed a greater sense of, of self-assurance and confidence um, in the process of your project. Tell us about that and then uh, the connection to what you termed student activism. Sure. Uh, to me, you know, the remarkable thing about working with 12-year-old boys has always been this shift from expecting to be told what to do by adults to seeing inherent value in their own ideas and approaches to learning. So in my project, the boys in my advisory, which for us is a non-academic time used to help boys develop social emotional competencies and executive functioning, uh, the boys had to plan, draft, design, and publish a school survival guide. And they chose the content and they wrote their own chapters, revised, designed a cover, included reference, 
et cetera, as if they were own, their own publishing house. So throughout the course of the project, the boys started to realize that being forced to think for themselves helped instill in them a conviction that their own ideas mattered. And one boy said to me, we never really get to choose the things we want to learn about or the kinds of projects that we get to do in other classes. And after I sat with that reflection for a while, it dawned on me that kids interpret being told what to do and how to create as distrust or a lack of confidence in their abilities and creativity. And I like to think about it in terms of being a child growing up and not being allowed to be left home alone by your parents, right? You know, adults often have an older sibling or a babysitter or a relative or a neighbor come over and watch the kids. And after a certain point, once the kid is old enough, they'll say, I can do it. I can be by myself. I'll be safe. I'll stay out of trouble. I won't light the house on fire. And in the same way that parents want their kids to be safe, we as teachers, I think, sometimes over surveil every aspect of the learning process for our students because we want what's best for them academically and developmentally. But it's really important that we give kids opportunities to be their own decision makers and to choose their creative outlets and give them options for how they demonstrate their learning. Because in my experience, kids can become disillusioned by systems that feel too cookie cutter or too prescriptive in terms of learning and in terms of how kids are showing their understanding. Luke and Katie, um, your findings both allude to the idea of mastery. And I know Katie, you mentioned it uh, when you were introducing your project. And, and the development of the skill and how that skill develops. Um, I, I'm fascinated to know how you saw that play out in your classrooms, this whole idea of developing mastery. Maybe we can start with you, Luke. Sure, Bruce. The, the boys uh, had a had a c- concept of where they're at um, in each of the skills prior to the peer tutoring sessions. Um, I surveyed them before the before those sessions and they rated themselves on each of those skills. As they began to teach that skill to another student, many of the boys actually realised, I don't have as good of a grasp on these skills or these ideas as I did previously. Um, And in many of their reflections, they they particularly focused on on the idea of uh, historical perspective and how that can influence a, a source's usefulness and, and reliability. So because of that experience, the, that, that kind of safe environment where they could test their, their knowledge and understanding of that particular skill, um, it, it allowed them the ability to, to reflect on that and then to obviously target that skill um, and refine it moving forward. In my research and, and project design, I really... Um used the research of a psychologist called Bandura quite extensively. And he highlights in his research that mastery experiences develop self-efficacy. And having run this project now with my boys showed me that this is true. Boys really benefit from having opportunities to show their mastery in different ways. So as I mentioned before, I deliberately included multiple and different opportunities for the boys to show their mastery. Some were independent, where they were showing that they'd mastered a skill or creating a teaching videos, and others involved experiences where they got to interact with other people. So I think the best way to really sum this up is, is again, going back to the boys' voices here. 
And one boy said to me that this project made me more confident to learn new things because before I think, oh no, I'm not going to be able to finish this or it's going to take too long. But now that I've done this in three weeks, then you feel that you can do it. Another boy told me that he didn't enjoy teaching someone in person, but he did realize in hindsight that it helped to master his skill. And a third boy said to me that if you're teaching someone and you suddenly interact with them and you hear about it in a different perspective, then you see things that you've never seen before and you actually start understanding yourself why you're doing it right. And yeah, I must say that having undertaken this project has made me critically analyze my day-to-day -day teaching, whether I create enough opportunities for mastery in just normal academic content. Because if you think about it, if we end a learning cycle with something like a standardized test, that isn't a, a mastery opportunity. For a lot of boys, it might not go as well as they, they hoped. And instead of building their self-efficacy to encourage them to learn better next time, it's going to be hampering their self-efficacy and, um, and thus also their agency for learning. This is this is fascinating, fascinating stuff, and and we're going to chat to to Steve and, and Luke and Katie a little bit more in a bit. But Margot, before we continue this conversation, I'd like to explore because I know some of our listeners are working with younger boys, and and I'd like to explore a little bit how agency is evidence in younger boys' classrooms. And I know, for example, that Kate Cowan, who is another top ten uh researcher in in this cohort worked with grade two boys in her project what are some of the insights that come out of this concept um in in classrooms where boys are are not in high school or senior primary school yes the topic was so relevant for the younger boys bruce kate um, is from sterling hall in toronto and her little boys worked on uh, the impact of student-led character-based inquiry projects um, on student self-awareness so they pursued genius time inquiry projects and then they linked their work explicitly to character strengths. And Bruce, even with these very young boys, Kate's project demonstrated the potential that student voice and choice have in the classroom and how this encourages a growth mindset and a real zeal for learning. And I think, you know, if you could start that young, um, just think of all the ground you've gained um, in that time. So the younger, the better. Precisely. And, and I would urge those uh, people who are listening to this who do teach younger boys to head to our website to check out some of those reports um, and to make sure that they, um, that they read up on those. A, a thread that's coming through in this conversation is this whole idea of autonomy and learning. And, and I know, Steve, you, you saw autonomy and learning leading to a growth in self-awareness and individual self-awareness in your boys. Maybe share a little bit about what that looked like and what you saw as you worked with your boys. Absolutely. Uh, the relationship between self-awareness, autonomy, and collaboration was one of the overarching themes in my project. And one of the pre-action reflections that I had my boys do was a journal about their experiences working in a group and what collaboration looked like in their experience. And so much of the data early on suggested a lack of self-awareness because all of the boys referenced problems that came up as a result of someone else in the group. You know, he wasn't focused. He wouldn't listen to my ideas. He was being lazy, etc. The typical issues that arise dur during group work. But what was missing from these early responses was an examination of the self. 
Nobody attributed any past failures or successes during collaborative work times to their own individual qualities or work habits. And I think in part that's developmentally appropriate because 12-year-olds are egocentric by nature. But so much of the project required the group to be one autonomous and cohesive unit. So before we dove into the project, I did a collaboration skills inquiry and inventory with the kids to help identify the different strengths and skill deficits that each boy brought to group work. And we also worked through a lot of potential conflict scenarios by using role play to act out different solutions and different ways that a problem could be mediated without my intervention. And my goal was to set the kids up to be the solutions to their own problems and use their understanding of different strengths and deficits to better divide up work responsibilities, again, without my intervention. And by the end, the boys' reflections showed a significant growth in self-awareness. One boy wrote, true collaboration is when more than one person has to work on the same project, but they don't have to do the same thing. Both people have to learn about their strengths to do their best on the part of the project that will help them show their abilities. And another boy told me in an interview that uh, being forced to rely on themselves, on the unit, on the autonomous unit, made it so they really had to pay attention and keep in mind everyone's individual working styles and working habits and consider how each person in the group can have an impact on the overall dynamic. And I think this was a really important takeaway because the boys started to realize that over time, they're going to be kicked out of the nest. And, you know, in high school, in college, in a career, they're not going to be able to rely on an adult to just intervene and take control and be the person who is mandating and deciding how things are going, you know, so they really had to develop an internal sense of control and ownership. I love that, um, Steve, that, 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 that's so interesting. Luke, your findings also suggested that your boys' learning deepened their understanding. Um, in what ways did this work out in your classroom? It really made the boys reflect upon where they're at with each of the, the individual skills. Um, and without that experience of peer tutoring, they I, I believe they would have just kept on going in the same direction without that that um, opportunity to to reflect deeply on each of the each of the skills and, and their um and their development in those areas. So what I found is one I remember one of the boys saying that the the peer tutoring actually allowed him to gain a deeper understanding of of both his strengths and probably most particularly his flaws. And, and that enabled him the ability to go and look for past questions in a specific skill to really try to enhance that. And that's that's what I was alluding to before in, in regards to greater self-regulation. And as a result of that, the the, the boys believe they enhance their, their ability at historical source analysis and my measurement of self-efficacy with that through surveys and interviews um, and video journals suggested that the boys felt that they improved in that. Katie, tell us about how your findings show the impact of choice on motivation. To answer that question, I think I'm actually going to start with a quote from one of the boys. 
because they said to me, if you, meaning me, the teacher, had chosen our school for us, maybe it's not something we really like, then we wouldn't have had the motivation to complete it. But when we chose it ourselves, we chose something we wanted to do, and that gave us motivation to finish it. So I think that this summed up that that really having this choice and this increased motivation actually impacted the mastery opportunities and experiences that I was trying to create to happen. Because if they hadn't had that much buy-in, they might not have actually reached the mastery goal and thus they wouldn't have had the experience that I was trying to create. So choice thus played an important role in helping to develop self-efficacy and um, ultimately greater agency in my boys to independently learn new skills. Something I also noticed is that there was quite an interesting balance here because although the boys had significant choice within the project, which did definitely um, lead to their motivation, it also remained a compulsory school task. And I think that this combination of choice with it being compulsory helped the boys ascertain that they really were more capable of independently mastering a skill than they had realized. One boy said to me that I felt satisfaction from doing the project because I felt that if you'd actually tried to do this in your free time, you'd have started and you would have become lazy to actually continue with it. So it actually gave you the confidence that you actually can learn a new skill when you have to do it. Another boy spoke about a similar idea and he said, I felt pleased with myself because I learned something that I hadn't learned before and I didn't think it was possible to learn, but I realized I was just lazy. Now that I put my mind to it, it was actually quite easy. And um, so I think that was really powerful for me to hear. But there was also, I think, some... uh, it only came to me really towards the end of the project that I started realizing this, but giving boys choice um, within their work actually starts breaking down barriers between what's school and what's real world. Because I think that having the choice and and, and seeing that they can put them, their mind to something and, and have this extra mo- motivation to finish something they actually wanted to learn themselves instead of it being part of a, a defined curriculum allows them to realize that in their own life, they are capable of this too. And so I really hope that this choice um, will help develop lifelong learners who really have the self-efficacy and agency to learn independently going forward um, throughout their school career, but hopefully also outside of school. It, it, it makes complete sense, Katie. And, and I just love this fact that, that you've, you, you've discovered something about motivation and motivating boys. I think teachers around the world who, are, who, who do engage with boys are always looking for ways to, to motivate boys to stick with something and to complete things. Um, in my experience as an English teacher in a boys' school, I, I always found boys pretty good at starting things, but not very good at, at finishing them. And so, you know, I, I, I love this encouragement you've given us around, around motivating boys. Steve, another thing I'm very passionate about, and, and maybe it's because I'm a Brene Brown fanboy, but I love this idea of creating belonging in schools, particularly in boys' schools. And, and I was so heartened to read in your report, how the ownership of learning impacted boys' sense of belonging in your classroom. And I'd like you to unpack that a little bit for us because I think it's a good way to to to, to kind of end our conversation around, around agency. Belonging and community are central to both my personal and my professional philosophies. To me, the purpose of the human experience is to be connecting with, with other people and to be 
engendering a sense of, of community in, in all of our experiences. So one of the terms that I coined in my research is positive community, which I defined as a sense of belonging, satisfaction, interdependence, and trust within a group. And the impetus behind my project was actually the disconcerting body of research that suggests how isolated kids are feeling at school in this generation. And my own observations, of course, and conversations with kids who go through the academic motions of the school day, but don't feel connected to anybody or to any particular group on an emotional level. And there was actually a research study done through the Making Caring Common Project at Harvard University. And it found that 80% of young people surveyed perceived adults, so the parents and the teachers in their lives, as prioritizing academic achievement over being a caring community member at school, 80%. And the data I collected demonstrated a similar sentiment. And the conclusion, I think, is that kids disconnect because connecting with community isn't perceived as valuable to their caretakers. They don't think that their parents care about being a good person at school. And we know how detrimental this level of disconnection can be, and it very much became my cross to bear during this project. And a lot of my boys attributed their feeling disconnected and unhappy with school with a lack of opportunities for self-expression in non-arts spaces. And I think back to what Katie was just saying about motivation, and I think there's a huge connection there between motivation and the opportunities that kids have for self-expression. So my project, being student-driven, relied so much on the ability of my boys to be vulnerable and share and talk about feelings associated with school because they were creating a school survival guide. And once they saw how much I, as an adult in their lives, um, valued their voices, they slowly started to open up and connect more with one another. And I have to share one reflection because one boy said, I didn't realize that others would care about what I had to say. As I got to write more about what was important to me, I felt like I actually got to act the way I really am instead of having to be a certain type of boy at school. The work the boys did placed authenticity at the center and the safe space of our advisory allowed the boys to get to that vulnerable place and we know from Brene Brown's research, Dr. Brene Brown, that vulnerability sparks connection. So over time, the boys really evolved into, we called it a family. It definitely felt like a family. And many of them said that they never would have been as close-knit without having the experience that advisory and that this project gave them. So it really, overall, was very transformative for them, but also for me as kind of the patriarch of this little family that we had in school. I love that you brought up that uh, that idea of vulnerability because I think as as action researchers we show to the uh, to the boys that we're we're authentic and we're vulnerable. We we ask them for their honest opinions and in doing that and empowering them by voice um, we expose ourselves but we also um, empower the relationships that we have with them by telling them that their voice matters and that their voice is actually driving the the learning experience. Gosh, thank you, Katie, Luke and Steve for joining us today. 
you've given us such wonderful insights into your research. I'm sure all our listeners are going to rush to download your full reports and share in the learning. And then I think a big thank you to you, Margot, as my wonderful co-host today on today's show. Thank you for your insights and thank you for your contributions to uh, boys learning around the world in your role as Action Research Coordinator. And I know that as the program continues, you will not be forgotten, particularly by researchers who have um, been under your guidance, but also um, your cohort of Action Research team advisors who I know have become close friends. Um, so thank you to you two for, for joining me today on, on the show. Before we go, just a reminder to sign up for one of the IBSC online classes. The latest of these starts on October 12th, as Amy mentioned in our newsreel. For more details, visit the upcoming events page on www.theibsc.org. If you haven't yet listened to our first two episodes of Season 2, I'd urge you to do so. My conversations with both Justine Ang Fonte and Natasha Devon are thought-provoking. Our next episode will drop in three weeks' time. You can look forward to a conversation about pastoral care in boys' schools with school counsellor Tim Jarvis from Michael House in South Africa. Until then, keep safe and keep well.